Support for this program is provided by Chevron. This is Politico Energy. I'm Annie Snyder. President Joe Biden has made some big promises about who will get a chunk of the $550 billion in infrastructure funding that lawmakers approved last month. Specifically, he wants to invest money tagged for water systems, climate resilience, and other projects into historically disadvantaged communities that often haven't gotten their fair share of federal dollars. But getting that money to them may be easier said than done. They're just overwhelmed because they don't have the grant writers, the technical expertise, the know-how of navigating the federal process, and they feel like they will be overwhelmed by communities that do have those resources and that they'll once again be getting the short end of the stick. Today, we talk with Politico Zach Coleman about the challenges of directing the Biden administration's new climate and energy funding to small and disadvantaged communities and how the White House is responding. It's Wednesday, December 15th. Zach, what has the Biden administration said about how it wants this huge influx of infrastructure money divvied up, especially when it comes to spending on climate resilience and environmental improvements? From my reporting, there's been a couple of major target areas for the Biden administration for climate spending and energy spending. It's really looking at environmental justice communities, which are communities that face a disproportionate amount of pollution. They happen to largely be communities of color or low income. And also spending a lot on former fossil fuel energy communities or those communities that rely a lot on coal revenues, oil revenues, natural gas revenues, the type of things that you need to transition out of if we're going to have a net zero economy by 2050. So President Biden wants to steer a lot of that money towards communities that are looking for a way to diversify their economies or grow a new economy as those fossil fuel ones have dried up a little bit. So the idea here is target those investments towards the greatest areas of need. And basically rising tide lifts all boats here. So a lot of those communities you just described are small, perhaps disadvantaged, perhaps rural. Those are the types of communities that have often had a hard time navigating the bureaucratic process. You spoke with the mayor of Vidalia, Louisiana, about a recent attempt to win a federal grant. What was his experience? Yeah, I talked to Mayor Buzzcraft, and he really was talking to me about his, his experience, which when you could hear it in his voice. It was kind of painful for him because he had to go out and hire an engineer to work on this proposal to expand the lift station for their sewage system because the floods were getting so great in his Mississippi River Delta town that they actually had to come up with a way to move all the sewage to higher ground because the whole system was getting backed up. People's sewage was flowing into their homes. So he spent $30,000 of city funds in a city of less than 4,000 people and he didn't get the grant. I mean, he walked FEMA officials around his flooded, soaked town And he just felt that he couldn't win because his town doesn't have grant writers. They're going up against communities that do for these enormous multi-million dollar projects. And he didn't get an explanation why his application wasn't accepted. And not everyone's does. But he said the need is certainly there. It's certainly clear. And he's resolved to try again. And we'll see what happens for him. 
So there is a bunch of money in this infrastructure bill that sounds like it could be a ripe target for communities like Vidalia. What does Mayor Kraft and what do other mayors of communities like his say that they need in order to access this funding now? Yeah, a lot of mayors and community organizations say they really need technical assistance. A lot of people don't even know which programs they should apply for. They don't even know the data they need to submit or the metrics that they should be emphasizing in the applications to win these grants. A lot of the communities, they have threadbare payrolls and staffs, and a lot of their revenues were slashed during the coronavirus pandemic. So any money they spend on preparing an application, they really want to hit it because it's money they don't really have to spend. So they really need a lot more federal outreach to help them win these proposals and help them create good applications. And so has the Biden administration committed to any of that assistance? Yeah, the Biden administration has invested in some of these capabilities. The Energy Department is holding a competitive grant competition to help with this capacity building and technical assistance for up to 36 low-income communities. There's actually money set aside in the infrastructure law that just passed Congress in November to hire more staff at the Energy Department and even At the EPA, a lot of the drinking water investments that were passed in that infrastructure law set aside money for oversight and for administering those funds and keeping track of those funds. But a lot of those gaps are also being filled by the private sector. You see a lot of philanthropies getting involved in trying to ensure that communities know how to submit a successful application. Also, the Arctic is exhibiting troubling signs of climate change-induced stress which could lead to a future of higher sea levels, floods, and reshaped coastlines, all linked to melting ice sheets. That's what the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration said in a report Tuesday. The report added that human-caused climate change brought a record warm autumn to the Arctic, and that the volume of post-winter sea ice in the Arctic Ocean was at its lowest ever recorded. The report comes after new findings showed rapidly warming waters are destabilizing an ice shelf that keeps Antarctica's so-called Doomsday Thwaites Glacier intact. The study said that the ice shelf could fail within five years, which would likely send sea levels soaring. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our newsletter at politico.com slash morningenergy. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Annie Snyder, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Chevron's El Segundo refinery is looking to turn plant-based oil into renewable gasoline, jet, and diesel fuels, because it's only human to want to power a better future. Learn more at chevron.com slash lowercarbon.